the Cloud City in Voxland, we have the host of Rebel Radio. It's Joe Klein. Thank you for tuning in, uh, loyal Vox listeners. I am Joe Klein, a columnist extraordinaire. Of course, uh, we are broadcasting today uh, in the midst of election season, campaign season. And uh, I'm going to just share with you uh, part of my syndicated column that I have uh, written after uh, both nominees have proved to be unacceptable in uh, this election campaign of 2016. Uh, In this day and age, we have, on one hand, uh, Donald J. Trump, who, of course, is a uh, racist demagogue. And we also have, on the other uh, side, unfortunately, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, who is also a racist demagogue. These are the uh, two choices we've been faced with in uh, the year 2016. Uh, So this is just a segment from my new column. You can find it on uh, Time magazine. If Senator Sanders wants to win us over, wants to win over us new Democrats, he must first recognize that we are in fact new and not still reciting the same tired canards of 1968. Yes, a lot of us did wear bandanas, smoke grass, and rock out to the dead once upon a time, and we did it in defiance of a dumb war and a racist legal system. We were right to do so, but once we grew up, we realized that the kind of Maoist, perfect world dreaming that went along with it, the kind that Bernie still engages in, is simply for the birds. We all know that the politics of corporation-hating, civil liberties extremism, and fight-the-man angst have become sexy again, but they do not appeal to those of us who have careers, raise families, own homes, make investments, and do all of these things without having sold our souls. We are both productive and progressive members of society, and we vote. (coughs) Unfortunately, it's looking like this election... Joe? Yes? Joe? Yes. This is Ezra. Ezra, my son, Ezra Klein. This is Ezra. I'm hacking into the cast. What is it like up in the cloud? Uh, Things are actually quite uh, pristine up here. We've got um, caviar... Uh, we have uh, no pulp-free orange juice. Oh, with no pulp? No pulp. No, no pulp. Unlike uh, Trump's America. Oh God. I'm looking up. Since Fiora Bernie took over, there have been swarms of bros in the streets, forcing us to be racist. Women can only talk if you hold your finger up at them. Everything's backwards. It's like Westworld down here. Oh my goodness! The uh, hit series Westworld. Is that that's still on there? Even though uh, it, it's a private company, HBO, and that's our last hope is uh, home broadcasting um, to each television. What, what people pay to receive their broadcasts. All right, this is not it's a publicly. It's the only show. It's the only thing we have left, folks. The only thing that the private sector is allowed to produce anymore now that uh, Bernie has taken over. Uh, taking over the left. But this election, I am going to be uh, writing in Michael Bloomberg uh, for, for President of the United States because I, I just uh, feel that we need a moderate voice in office. And um, Just do this for me, Joe. Yes. Give him young blood. Make him strong and agile again so that he can take back what we have lost. I get so tired of sponge-bathing the Fuhrer. And his terrible towers while he watches Westworld. It's so cold down here, Joe. Send this to the people. 
over and out. That uh, was a great Ezra Klein impression. Thank you. <laughs> it's me, Ezra Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra Klein starving to death, um, as he should be. I well, I don't wish that he on him. He sounds different when he's cold. He does. I, I wish it on him. I'm I'm surprised that Ezra Klein was that yelly in this future. Uh-huh. Ezra Klein is like such a soft-spoken little moron. He's just like. Uh, what was it someone said recently? They were saying, like, he has a voice, for, uh, a face for radio, but a voice for print. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was really pushed to extremes there. It sounded almost nothing like him. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, it's left chest, bitches. Yes, you're tuning Thanks in for to K-Pace. Thank back. you. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> Tune in to K-Pace. It's a rainy day in Punk Alley. Um, yeah, Th- that's we're doing something today if Bernie won. That was a little segment where it's going to be a recurring thing. Because um, we don't know what that would look like. Uh, but hopefully it would be... A total dictatorship. Total dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. That's completely authoritarian, full full dictatorship. Uh-huh. They say it's of the proletariat, but... But it's just of him. The spon- it's just the Bernie. sponge baths. Just Bernie. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, Michael Selden is here, a organizer at Democracy at Work. Waving at the cameras. He's waving at the cameras. We're Excited to be on TV. Splitting a mic. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of, de- you know, I am a little depressed, I guess, about the state of politics no. right now. Um, Why? Well, it's I just... I think it's just the rain. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Um, but I'm also like a silver linings guy, you know? Mm. I'm always looking for those silver linings, and I do kind of think... That if Bernie did win, um, I don't necessarily think it would be the same as 2008. But in a lot of ways, it's almost good to not have this the, messiah-like... The compromise? F- well, the compromise, but also like this uh, angelic figure who everybody adores. You know, say what you will about Hillary Clinton. She's not that. She's People are going to be skeptical of her on day one, which I think is pretty healthy. Right. So you have, like, middle-of-the-road accelerationism feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's so my problem with this whole thing in that I, I, you know, I campaigned for Bernie Sanders very hard, and I was in, uh, helped out a lot with Team Bernie NY and, and working in Brooklyn. But there kind of is something to be said for him losing in terms of, uh-huh. like, the cause in general, and that people are even more pissed off. We haven't gotten complacent in any way. We don't think, like, oh, we did it or anything because we didn't. We right. lost. And I, we definitely did not do it. We did not do it. <laughs> no, uh, we cannot. It wasn't done, and, and it does make... I, I sort of have that, like, problem in my own head where it's like, am I an accelerationist because I'm, like, a little bit glad that Clinton won in, like, some way? I there like is, to think like, I'm something not. to accelerationism. Uh, I'm still not glad Clinton won. I just... She says some things sometimes that really uh, scare me, kind of, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of kind of just... World War Three ish stuff yeah. about almost paranoia towards Russia. That seems like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, oh no, definitely short term so. <laughs> and long term for that. It's both. It's definitely bad. It's maybe, yeah. maybe a good thing for the left in America. Definitely not good for people alive <laughs> no. on Earth. The world. Yeah. yeah. I see. I imagine her going to bed every night. Like right before she goes to bed, she does a bunch of like push ups or sit ups. Like while staring at a picture of Vladimir Putin on her wall. <laughs> she's just going to get you. Yeah. That's what she's been doing since she announced, just like waiting for that fucking showdown. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, that is, like, the question to me is, like, because there are so many people who supported Bernie that weren't necessarily very political at all, or they didn't really have a very formed idea of their politics, and some of them are, like, going towards Gary Johnson, which is a little baffling. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So do you think the movement can sustain, can be sustained and still, like, capture those people who, like, aren't necessarily that engaged but just what bernie said and maybe a lot of this is his personality just like really resonated with them this might be like a bit wackadoo but i'm kind of counting on another market collapse and then maybe a more fringe uh gathering of the juggalos not unlike occupy wall street as it's often referred to as a gathering of the juggalos <laughs> mm-hmm. that's where the juggalos first met and uh i think something like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how icp formed in uh, <laughs> right at occupy wall street in zuccotti <laughs> park they rap about it mm-hmm. you know like yeah there's uh no labels in the icp foundation completely no. horizontal between those two clowns <laughs> <laughs> there's no boss clown in, in icp <laughs> icp is firmly a co-op they profit share mm-hmm. they, profit <laughs> they think it would be wrong to exploit the labor of other clowns you know they've formed a a clown vanguard party they make their own face paint and yeah. that's what speaks to these young clowns out in the dunes and uh they got nothing to do and they think hey maybe i'll take a slice of the cream-filled pie to throw at my face you know, something that's uh, interesting that I've seen grow on the internet is a lot of, um, like, Southerners and Midwesterners and just kind of, like, country folk gravitate towards socialism and communism in a way that I have at least never noticed before. Mm-hmm. There's all these groups popping up on, on Facebook and all over the place where just people are gathering together to talk about, like, cornbread, but also, like, proletarian revolution and, like, Bernie Sanders. And I think that's sort of... It's new to me, but I'm like a coastal elite, so maybe I was just like never in the know. But uh, but, the fact but that it's come to my it attention—it's a good example. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it came to my attention means it's getting bigger because I wasn't aware of it before. Right. I mean, the seeds of it have been there for a long. Well, the, yeah. I mean, more than seeds. Like back in the '30s, they were a they hotbed were, for, yeah. for that. Yeah. Iowa, the Midwest, like Wisconsin, Appalachia. had a bunch of yeah, like socialist mayors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my great uncle actually caucused for jesse jackson in iowa in the 80s which was and that's another really fascinating thing to look back on um kind of similar to the bernie camp or what it could have been the rainbow coalition which was like united like you know a lot of like people from the civil rights movement and like cities and stuff they united like people of color with uh farmers in the midwest under this like very radical not not very radical but like well socialism historically goes over well with farmers yeah (laughs) we like it Uh Uh, if anything we can be glad it's less about the farmers this time because uh that historically has had issues right and they don't definitely yeah Small farmers are a little bit romanticized. It'd be but. weird if in this country socialism came paired. It'd be so American if, like, socialism came paired with just, like, real evangelical values. And then it was like, Ooh, I really want, like, yes. a, uh, you know, um, a proletarian revolution. I really want, you know, like, uh, uh, equal pay for equal work and also gay marriage right out. Just completely <laughs> done with that. It's, we are all <laughs> apostles here. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that like socialism is so seen as this thing that is the the 
territory of like these rich coastal elites when just historically that is the opposite of mm-hmm. the point of it it's yeah. almost like a smear campaign <laughs> almost <laughs> there's so many uh like almost one. happening in uh right the left political spectrum <laughs> mm. Mm. um uh yeah, I mean that makes me wonder, like, if because uh, that's the two. There, there's this kind of contradiction where it's like, um, if you use the word socialism, you're not going to be able to. And this is before Bernie. You're not going to be able to appeal to those like red meat middle of the country voters who don't like socialism. You know, the, that it's a mm-hmm. buzzer that turns them off. And his success uh, with areas. those people, yeah, yeah, showed they were like, well, you're actually only going to appeal to those people right. and you're not going to appeal to anybody else. I mean, you know? it just shows how insanely off the, the like media elite are that they like, yeah. can't even anticipate that kind of thing. It just shows how off people like Ezra Klein are and their perception of the Bernie Sanders movement and like what it is, who it represents and who is like into it. But I feel like they get me because they have graphs and <laughs> that's true. When you want to go for my heartstrings, you're gonna need to show some X and Y axes. I'm fella. really yeah. Sometimes I'll go online and like I'm really craving an explanation. Mm-hmm. I need a voxplanation right now. What yeah, is? I was about to explainers. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Very similar. Uh, as a leftist, sometimes I, uh, whenever I'm thinking about politics, just think uh, I'm very craven, and then I stop there because uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a dirty coward who's afraid of the profit motive. Right, um, and that's. Uh, but do you th- I kind of think that it's almost good that they're now kind of taking the market share on the smug uh, intellectual, you know, narrative of because that right that's also our wheelhouse <laughs> right that used to be and hopefully now it's like i think it is a great thing that uh neoliberalism has become this sort of widespread term that people it's now it's mocked by you know the matthew Iglesiases of the world the people who just toss around the word neoliberalism but before but that if guy. you go back like 10 years <laughs> ago that was a very select group of people who would use that term you know on the left anyway who were like against you you know what what's going on and with the economy um and now it's it's spread among people because of you know not not to dwell too much on the wheelhouse of uh, another podcast but uh the new chapo premium episode is all about how many trump supporters you could win over mm-hmm. based on just class anger and right, their allegiance right. to Trump through that. Yeah. And uh they were pretty optimistic about it. So there there is anger out there already that you just have to learn how to talk to. Right. But the um, question is where who's gonna, you know, be able to capture it and it's not looking like the Democratic Party Oh no. no, not them. It yeah. seems like part of the problem is that these people have been so sold on the Fox News machine of your problems are because of immigrants. Your problems are because of gays. Your problems are because of XYZ minority group. And it's going to be really hard to wrest those people away from that because I think they are so convinced. I mean, it's correlated. Their mm-hmm. way of life is definitely dying. There's definitely more brown people. And they're confused. And they just don't understand that the th- two things are like not really related uh, in the way that they think they are. Yeah. There's there's always like a disillusionment to the current status quo uh, after a certain amount of time, and I think the Democratic so Party has eight had years. Eight, you you well, said? they've had eight years. Like uh-huh. everyone remember after Bush, everybody was so ready to vote Democrat, and kind of like I remember being 
18 or whatever and being like well this will fix everything and now we've had another eight years and it uh mm. didn't mm. <laughs> so here i am in the left chest uh radio program yeah. <laughs> right. i never thought like as a third grader sitting up and like watching the al gore election uh that however many years later i'd find myself you know in basically a, a porta potty in brooklyn talking <laughs> about you know socialism uh that was kind of a wild journey from there to here. I think American <laughs> politics has switched kind of a bit since then. It well, does, yeah. Uh, that, I, I, w- I would double down on the fact, though, that even though people are drawn to the ideas of socialism now because they feel like they're getting fucked over, which they are, but uh, there's been a long enough entrenched enough propaganda campaign against the Soviet Union for the 20th mm. century that I don't think you can start out with the red flag and hammer and sickle and then win over people. No, yeah. definitely. And uh, can I transition into democracy at work a little Absolutely. bit here? Because that's, uh, that's like my wheelhouse. That's, uh-huh. that's one of my things. We were go- hoping to get there, so this is probably... Uh, <laughs> this is a good transition to yeah. that? Do you want to just be on the show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, We yeah. need like a third uh, organizer person. Anyway, democracy at work. Let's democracy at work is... A, I will be on your show, definitely, Alex. All I, right, cool. I accept this rose. Um, no, the bachelor. We should probably talk. You about can cut it. that part out if you want. <laughs> yeah, um, a labor rose. Huh? <laughs> I uh, so democracy at work is kind of cool. It's basically this professor Richard Wolf. He's out of the New School um, in Manhattan. But actually, uh, shout out to my alma mater here. Alma mater here. He taught at UMass Amherst for a very long time. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Very happy about that. Not when I was there, unfortunately. Also, I didn't study economics. I studied biochemistry because I hate getting laid. But uh, he has basically started this movement called Democracy at Work. And um, it does its best to really not mention socialism or communism as a word. And he has this great book called Democracy at Work in which he outlines a governmental system that really can work and has a lot of data behind it to prove that it does work. And sort of the basis of it is this. Here's the elevator pitch. Um, We have so much emphasis in American society on the idea of democracy and what it can do and the power of voting and and group decision-making and what it can do. And we just don't have any interest in applying it to all sorts of things. We have these massive corporations that are not democratically controlled. They're controlled entirely by the incredibly rich. They can produce what they want, where they want, fire who they want, pay whoever they want, exactly how much they want. And, uh, it's basically controlled by a board of directors, which is like five to 50 people in a boardroom controlling the lives of literally thousands and thousands of people in the company. And then outside of the company, more thousands to millions of lives, depending on the size of the corporation. But Mike, that sounds undemocratic. It does sound undemocratic. And that's because it is. And now the whole point of this democracy at work economy is not, it isn't communism because it really isn't. It's not the state taking control of any sort of company. It is not rule through um, like a worker's vanguard or anything like that. It's basically just the idea that it's just co-ops. It's just a fancy rebrand of co-ops. Basically, workers get uh, a vote. And basically, if you work at a company, you get to have a say in how things are run. Not everything on a day-to-day basis, but you get to be a part. You get shares. You can decide major decisions. This has worked very well for certain places of the world. For example, the north of Italy has a very thriving co-op economy. Um, I think it's uh, 33% of all businesses there are actually cooperatively owned and not corporate, not, we usually call it a capitalist style corporation, top-down hierarchy. Uh, And um, it's gone very well in terms of bringing the north of Italy out of this massive depression that they're going through right now. 
Um, on top of that, Germany has a law which which helps this kind of uh, this kind of democracy at work economy thrive, where. 50% of the board of any large corporation must be comprised of people elected by the workers together. And so these people, if they're elected by the workers, they can make decisions that are better for the workers. They can set pay ratio laws so that the workers can't make less than like one eighth of what the top pay is for the CEO. Or they can set laws where um, the company won't be outsourcing its work because they want to keep it where they live. Um, it's, it's just more control to the people and less control to the people with m all the money that was a pretty good elevator pitch thanks it was a long elevator ride. i've just been telling people we organize and promote co-ops i mean that's not that's wrong <laughs> you're not wrong it's uh, just uh uncharismatic no my way just sounds sexier but uh yeah they're, they're both definitely true and there's a million advantages to this if you get rick wolf in any room the professor who sort of is the face of this organization he can talk for literally hours about all the benefits of this mm -hmm. um but basically, one of the main things that I usually bring to people is that there have been studies on the effectiveness of this type of corporation, and they generally last. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna not get this exactly right, but uh, it's gonna be close. They last as long as uh, capitalist hierarchical corporations. Um, they are more stable with their employment. They pay their workers more. And they, on average, uh, earn just as much profit as a capitalist-style corporation. So there aren't really disadvantages to this sort of thing, and they can be scaled up massively. The big example that we always give is the Mondragon Corporation in Spain, which is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you maybe know about it. It's enormous, and it spans a ton of different countries. It comprises uh, like thousands and thousands of people, and it is run like this, through people voting and selecting the leadership of their corporation. Um, and they have all sorts of other cool progressive stuff in there, but basically it's effective. So if Democracy at Work was successful, it would do a good job laying the infrastructure for a social democracy uh, uh, power base in America. Exactly. Which would be very groovy. I mean, it's very new right now. Yeah, it's very new. Um, you know, the idea of co-ops are old, but the, the idea of uh, co-ops banding together and becoming basically a voting block, like Democracy at Work is trying to get us to be, is a new thing. So they're, uh, they're our whole idea is to not only further co-ops individually through giving them support, but also to uh, build these co-ops into a voting block and then influence politicians to enact legislation that will uh, you know, help more co-ops happen. So to put them on kind of the same plane as uh, a interest group in Washington, you know, supporting Exactly, industry. it would be another interest group. What's mm -hmm. cool about this is that it can happen outside of politics, mm -hmm. you know? We'd like to influence politics as much as possible, but this sort of new economy doesn't require massive changes in the American government. It doesn't require any sort of like crazed violent revolution. It doesn't require like, doesn't even really require working within the system so much. It just requires people being interested in creating a more fair and equitable economy. And we can work outside of the system to make that on our own. Uh, would you make the critique that it's still within the market system, so you're still f well, focusing on the production of goods. Like, like you said, if they're staying equally as profitable, that doesn't, uh, you know, patch that problem where you have uh, the never-ending pursuit of growth kind of yeah. mm -hmm. uh, driving a lot of the issues, uh, climate change, mass, uh, yeah, uh, yeah all, all those things. But it's a great first step. Right. If nothing else. And it's it would be step. such an improvement over the current situation. It also sort of would help in terms of getting people more into the idea of class consciousness and understanding like, hey, if you're in this sort of corporation, you aren't 
being exploited so much. You're putting your work and your effort towards this thing that you have control over. You're being exploited less than you were before. Um, and it, it is not a total transition away from the profit motive, but the idea is that it would create a bit of a more equitable society uh, in terms of just people having a lot more money and a lot more say in the things around them. And in terms of climate change, what's nice is, you know, if you have a corporation that's based where you are, you want it to be in order to keep your job and works around where you are, you don't want it polluting like crazy and you don't want it emitting like crazy because you live there and you as a company can make those voting decisions to do that. You know, and if you have a CEO who starts making like really awful decisions for the environment, you can vote him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which at least gives us vaguely more control over that. It's not a permanent fix. And even a lot of people within democracy at work don't agree on where to go from there. And a lot of people are from all, all political stripes and have lots of other ideas about how politics should be run. But it's just a, it's a first step. What we definitely need from attending some of these meetings is a... Uh... More young people to come join. Please, Please come, come join. join Everyone's so old. They're very old. They're going to break. They're very nice. And I really do enjoy talking to them, but it would be great. And I think everyone there would agree. This isn't really like an insulting thing to old people who don't mm -hmm. listen to podcasts mm -hmm. anyways. Yeah, they're I'm sorry if you're it. old and listening to this podcast. Uh, but Joe Klein need, is actually a We need more young subscriber. people. Joe Klein's a subscriber. Oh, yeah. He's in the Cloud City. It's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. He's not going to come down to this uh, this alley and uh, smite us <laughs> like he did with Ezra Klein. <laughs> well, uh, so I guess my question would be, what is the strategy as far as creating more? Is it the people who are interested in starting businesses and going to them and saying, hey, if you want to start, if you have this idea for a product, best way for you to pursue it is to, to start a cooperative? Or would you say to existing businesses and workers... Uh, this is a fucked up situation that you're, you know, <coughs> that you're working, your working conditions are messed up. You got to seize control of your workplace. Separate. Uh, there are actually separate committees for both. We have a committee in which we are trying to help people form businesses with each other. Um, we have currently a project in, in that I don't know the status of because I'm not on this committee that is trying to form a co-op grocery over in the Bronx. Um, and we are trying to, uh, encourage people within the group to work together to create their own businesses. Um, part of the problem is that we don't have a lot of money to do that. And so that's why we are sort of participating so much in the electoral side of things in mm -hmm. terms of getting money allocated to support co-ops. Um, we provide support to co-ops in terms of uh, helping them with legal problems or structural problems. We have a lot of resources in terms of that and people who can help out that way. Um, and then also we have another committee that is actively trying to convert uh, current corporations into being um, it's called a worker self-directed enterprise is the name that uh, Rick Wolf coined WSDE turn them into that it's just a sexy word for co-op basically but uh, it's uh, turn them into acronyms. that yeah acronyms are great right it's just shorter language man yeah uh, Mike's on the political commission or the ele the election commission mm -hmm. I was I'm, I'm on the election committee and then I was also helping to make a TV show which was cool and should be out on uh, on public access in Manhattan pretty soon. Um, I uh, am, I think, starting to work on the radio portion of it as well. I'll be their science advisor because I have a degree in biochemistry. They put out a podcast called uh, Economic Update with Rick, Rick Wolf, which is really mm. great. It's not funny. Um, no. But it's definitely <laughs> I, I very engaging. To it. It's impressive. <laughs> it's, it's depressing. It's, uh, but it's very informative. Um, here's a secret uh, to enjoying it uh, and not blowing your brains out. Um, 
I hope Rick Wolf never hears this. I listened to it at 1.25 speed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like fair game mm-hmm. or if that's like insulting to someone who makes a podcast. But they just won't like, hear it. He talks <laughs> slow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do that, and it's 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 a really enjoyable podcast. Actually, seeing him live though, he's very magnetic. Yes. it's like a real. He just like packages things really well. Yeah. He breaks them down really well. Yeah. He says mm-hmm. them energetically and passionately, yeah. and kind of makes them like very easy to understand yeah. in a way. Uh, well, that's interesting because yeah. the it, that you know um, democracy at work is kind of straying from the theory side of things, which is I think effective. But they when Richard Wolf uh, was on TV, did you see when he was on Bill Maher? I actually haven't watched that clip yet. It, I, I had it posted to me, and I just it must have been one of that. It's kind of disappointing. I mean, it, it's it's uh, like Bill Maher uses this argument where. It's just the use of the old human nature thing because he gets him talking wait, about Marxism. Wait, 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 Anders, you're telling me there was an episode of Bill Maher that was disappointing? <laughs> <laughs> well, Are you th- sure it was the right show? <laughs> yeah, you sure that wasn't, um, you know, Bill uh, Moyers? Left just. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, but Roasted. He- <laughs> Got him. LJ. You're never invited back. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have the clip here if we want to watch it. Uh, it's the, he opens it. Point it towards the camera for all the viewers at home. Yeah, make sure you turn on the. We are camming. We had a cam at Bill Maher's studio. Actually, we oh. capture all of the behind the scenes gossip. You can notice the gains I've been making on my lats because before, uh, nary a muscle fiber to look at, but now it's like I have a whole set of wings. Wow, how yeah. did you how'd you do it? Be sure to check out the live stream. Um. A lot of uh, Viking-style boat rowing. Time. Now, uh, why immigrants? Like New Jersey Im- immigrants to New Jersey mm-hmm. from New York? I tell them it's Italy. Oh. And they want to see. It's like a very inexpensive vacation. Yeah, no, it's It's another one of my nonprofit. It's uh, a lot things. like Italy. You know, it's... Uh, Am I gonna? Is this racist? If I like insult Italy, am I being racist? White yes. and white racism is acceptable. It's I think. acceptable. I love white and white racism. <laughs> is what it is. It's, good. it's like Italy. It smells bad and they're loud and stuff. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we are like really lowballing the effect. As long as you don't say anything about the mafia, we should all stop apologizing. That would be a great <laughs> addition yeah. to the podcast. I apologize for apologizing. All right, this is uh, Richard Wolf. This is a couple years ago on uh, Bill Maher. First up, he is a visiting professor of economics at the New School University and the author of Democracy at Work. Please welcome Richard D. Wolf. <laughs> professor. How are you, Professor? Pretty good. Thank you so much for being here. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why you're here. I did a, a story on the show a couple of weeks ago. I read in USA Today that they had crunched these numbers and found out that f- to reach the American dream, what the typical American dream, they weren't asking for the world, you know, a vacation, <laughs> you know, a car, not two cars, live with, you know, maybe go out to dinner once a week, not crazy stuff. It would cost a family of four $130,000 a year just to live like that. And the, the median income is 51000 to say nothing of the people who probably make less than that. 51000 to one thirty. How do we close that gap? Well, I think the first thing to face is that it means, as the article said, that only one out of eight American households is able to 
have the American dream. Right. That we now live in an economic system that is saying to seven out of eight American families, not for you anymore. You know, when I was a young man, we were told in school that capitalism was a great system because it created and sustained a big middle class. Mm -hmm. That was a virtue. Well, if that applies, then we have to face the fact that we now have a system that can't do that, has denied that to the larger number of our people, and that raises the question, can't we do better than this? Can't we do something about an economic system to make it work better than and this? And how, how do we do that? I mean, I, I know that you're a Marxist, right? I mean, you, you actually wear No the... horns. No horns. <laughs> and that's got to be one of the frustrating things about being a Marxist, is that right away, when you say that word in America, people get hysterical. It's just an economic system. I mean, I, I don't think I'm a Marxist, but tell me why you are and why it's not scary. Well, you know, it, it's really kind of simple. When capitalism developed in the world back in the 18th century in England and spread to Europe and then to us and so England forth. is in Europe. That's true. <laughs> Rest of Europe. Okay. And I'm not a big time professor. All right, go ahead. Um, anyway, when it, when it did spread that way, it, it kind of had a, a, a commitment, if you, if you want, to develop the world and grow things. And it had theorists who celebrated it. Adam Smith, David Ricardo, the famous theorists. The invisible hand. Exactly. They looked at capitalism, they loved it, and they analyzed it. But then along came this other guy, Karl Marx, a little bit later. He looked at it and said, basically, we can do better. And he developed an analysis based on that approach. And for me, as I think it ought to be for any rational person, you study the system based on the thinking of the people who love it, but you also look at the thinking of the people who are critical of it, and then you come to your own judgment. We've been a nation, and that's my whole life experience in the United States, that has been hesitant to do that, doesn't want to weigh the two sides, wants to be the celebrator all the time and never look at the side of the criticism. And I think kind of when we grow up as a nation, it's time to look at that part of the way capitalism works that is understood by the critics. And Marx was just a critic, that's all. So you don't think what happened with communism was Marxism? I mean, you don't think we already discredited that system? Because my theory, and of course, again, I'm not really a professor of economics, <laughs> although I play one on TV. Yes. <laughs> is that my analogy is a rushing river, you know? Rivers only go in one direction. The Chinese actually tried to, or maybe they did, they, to change the course of rivers. Yes. They moved them back. That's, that's quite an exercise in hubris when you're thinking make the river flow right. backwards. Right. To me, institutions have to be grafted on the way human nature really is. You have to go with the flow of the river. Human nature is greedy and selfish. Capitalism, I think, has to, is the, the system that takes advantage of that. I just say, put dams and locks on the rivers, but don't try to make the river flow in the opposite direction, which I think is what Marxism does. Well, I think what happened is that people got excited about Marxism and took it in directions that we don't want to go in again. We have to learn from that. But people have done that with almost any system of thought, including the lovers of democracy, the lovers of capitalism. Some of them did things that, in the name of that that we don't agree with and that we want to learn what not to do. And I think the Soviet Union, China, and so on give us lessons in what not to do. But Marx was not a thinker about socialism and communism. He never wrote a book about it. His analysis was about capitalism. He was interested in understanding what about it is positive and what about it isn't so positive and how can we go further. I use this as a simple analogy. If you wanted to understand a family down the street, uh, mother, father, couple kids, and one kid thought it was the greatest family 
ever. And the other kid said mm, it was a disaster. If you wanted to understand the family, you'd want to talk to both kids. It's not a question of which one is right or wrong. But All right, that was Richard Wolf on the Bill Maher Show, uh, 2014. Um, you guys get it? The rivers. The rivers. It's not going to work. <laughs> He's, I've seen him use that analogy. Bill Maher, to me, is fascinating to watch because <laughs> he embodies, like, liberalism. Like, he'll go as far as it can go, and then he'll just go right back to just totally reactionary, borderline Republican. It's not how you know? rivers work, bro. <laughs> I want to shave his head. Bill Maher? Yeah. yeah. He would just look like he's, he's so pointy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's, but, uh, a lot I, think, of, I think Bill Maher's doing something. He's not a fancy golfer. <laughs> no, he's not. Rick, Rick Wolf definitely uh, is a lot better looking, if I do say so. Yeah. yeah, and just as fancy. Better voice, Rick too. Like me. <laughs> um, he's not but, listening, uh, Rick, he's like me. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're watching this on TV. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, You know, Bill Maher does something that people do a lot, which is confuse Marxism and communism. And I think the words generally get used very separately a lot, as they should. You know, Marxism, I use... I call myself a Marxist despite maybe not being a communist. I'm not really 100% in or out on that. But I think Marxism, if, if you're criti criticizing capitalism in any way and you're interested in, in looking at the faults of capitalism, even if you like capitalism, I still think you can call yourself a Marxist because his whole thing is just, I mean, Das Kapital like, doesn't, okay, so I, I haven't read the whole thing. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm reading it right now. I have no, it same. Oh, yeah. D. Harvey. I'm, I'm doing, uh, yeah, David Harvey's very happy. Yeah, he's got a great, got to um, get but a only volume one so far. And uh, he listens to our show. <laughs> David Harvey, <laughs> I'm so glad you're listening. I'm so glad you're watching us on TV, David Harvey. Um, <laughs> it is not, it doesn't really mention socialism. It doesn't mention right. socialism. It doesn't mention communism. Marx is just a criticism of capitalism. And I think that even capitalists should be clear on the pitfalls of capitalism. Right. There are Marxian, there are people who study Marx's analysis and apply it to being like stockbrokers and mm. stuff. Uh, but they're called evil people. <laughs> we should all look them up. Right. I'm, well, he and he was in a lot of ways uh, a champion. I said lock. <laughs> lock throw away the key. Uh, but he he was a uh, he liked a lot of what capitalism had accomplished, like the, the technological growth. Mm. He thought of it as an answer to scarcity. Is just what you know. Richard Wolf was saying is like, how do we move beyond that? Uh, well. Also, and this has come up a bunch of times on the show, but we're almost at the point of post-scarcity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and the the issues you face in 1800s England almost are mirror opposites of the ones you face now, mm -hmm. where there's just too much of everything. I think scurvy is going to make a comeback, though. Scurvy? Scurvy. Mm -hmm. Pumped. <laughs> I've invested in vitamin C very thoroughly. I'm excited <laughs> for my stocks to grow. There's a comedian we know who is just like an open micer comedian who's always very off, and uh, everybody knows it. I know his name. I'm not going to say it on the air because I know uh, David Harvey's listening. Uh, but um, <laughs> David Harvey also does a lot of open micers. I found mic. out he only eats chicken. What? Yeah. Someone you know. So... Uh, kind of in the just cultural degradation and uh, intellectual withering of the of the world, you know. Maybe there'll just be McDonald's people. Does he eat it? He comes back. Does he eat it in different forms, or just? I don't even. It's just fried filet. Wow. This is. He's a real oddball. That one. I had a college roommate who one time survived entirely on gas station hot dogs, three meals a day for a month. I love you, Kevin Strathdee, but you have problems. Yikes. That's fucked up. Yeah, he's still alive. I like sick? gas station pizza. I gotta be honest, but um, 
What the? Let's see. The argument I wish he. W- so many more questions. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, Richard Wolf, when he's on the, you know, I remember watching this at the time and thinking like, uh, the human nature argument. Perf- that's a perfect example of where liberalism gets it wrong because it's it's so closed mind. I mean, there are people who say the idea of human nature is a total myth you know it's not you can't it's it's a made-up thing that people use to justify whatever and i think there is some truth to that although i wouldn't go that far uh but you definitely can't say that human nature is just one thing right it's not all greed if it was then we wouldn't have charity you know people you wouldn't raise children if you were if 100 percent greedy there are people who are like that but the point of developing an economic system and a society should be to take the best aspects of human nature and organize around them rather than what we have now, which is organizing around the worst features of human nature. Obvious, like that's the straw man argument yeah. you read about when you first get into socialist circles is the human nature argument. Uh, it's amazing to me Bill Maher still has a show because <laughs> the people he's pitching his snark to is such a thin band of like HBO subscribers that are just enough money to keep him on like a throne of everyone hating him. <laughs> uh, HBO, you gotta get him. millennial who doesn't have TV and hasn't for a very long time. Bill oh, Mars, you won't see our live broadcast. I'm not gonna see it. I Even though I'm really excited to see how I look. What What is Bill Maher on other than drugs? What? Weed. He, no, loves, I mean, like, he sorry, loves to yeah, do weed. Is he on? He's talking about it. He's on HBO. He's on HBO. Yeah. Okay. That's and I, I will say I like. And he writes books, right? Like Al Franken style. I think. Well, he does. His, he'll do a stand-up special every few years. One of his stand-up specials. Franken style. Continue. <laughs> one of his specials is called "But I'm Not Wrong." That's one of Bill Maher's specials. Oh no. Uh, but it, <laughs> that's like uh, after he's already fully inside of the locker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you get to yell back at him. <laughs> <laughs> um, like there should be a category on like that Saturday Night Live like uh, Black Jeopardy sketch or something. Yeah. Like I don't know what Phil Mars doing talking like that. Oh god. Talking jive. Yeah. Right. I'm not wrong. Either that or just like a men, men's rights activist. If you like, look at rivers, now I was born on a river yeah. and I have a lot of thoughts about them. I was born as a river and I flowed one way. <laughs> While and, my body is male, I do feel I am a river. Rivers Cuomo should be president. Is what I believe. Is I'm sick of him saying that. He's not qualified to be president. I once <laughs> met Brian Bell and he's like the most uncomfortable person I've ever interacted with. If Who's is that a Weezer person? That's another person in Weezer. That's okay. the one with the high voice that does all like oh. uh, parts of like every song. You know what I'm talking? Oh, yeah, no. you know. Uh-huh. If you let Rivers Cuomo be the alpha male of your group, I, it doesn't say good things <laughs> about you. <laughs> I look up to Rivers Cuomo as an epitome of manliness. No, it's just funny because I just assumed, a public enemy. I just I just assume that Weezer. I mean, they're famous, so they must like interact socially a lot. And then I realize that like they definitely don't, or like definitely just can't get used to it and man brian bell was uncomfortable well they haven't gone on tour in a while right this was a long time this was in uh, 2011 this was oh, five okay. years ago probably a freak incident probably that he was uncomfortable probably, yeah he's probably, probably super cool lady killer brian bell what what circumstances was this um i was at a festival and uh i was sitting at a table with one of my friends and uh the table said uh brian bell autographs at 8 p.m and um 
he wasn't there. It was like a line was out the door. Well, the line didn't exist because it was 6 p.m. But people kept walking up to the table and thinking that I was Brian Bell. I don't look like Brian Bell. I'm just white. He was so <laughs> yeah. And so people were just like, oh, man, can you autograph my thing? And I was like, oh, they didn't give me a pen. Um, I can't. Find me a pen. And then eventually uh, I was just like, man, I really want to find a pen so I can just pretend I'm Brian Bell to all these people who like <laughs> want an autograph from someone they, they have literally no idea. Is this idea in America? Are. Yeah, it was in America. It was in Connecticut. It's so so they find out you weren't Brian Bell, were they like. Uh... I never told anyone I wasn't Brian Bell, but what I did was. <laughs> <laughs> I literally. I was not. What do you think? I'm just going to blow my spot. I was Brian Bell for five minutes and I thought he was cool until I met him five minutes later. My friend, I was like, man, where can we find a pen? And my friend was I like, I bet did. Brian Bell has one. Pointed to the corner of this large room and Brian Bell was standing there in the corner with sunglasses on and his arms crossed, leaned up against a wall. And I was like, oh man, this is the chance. Oh, okay. So, I figured you'd understand why this was an awkward encounter now. Because I don't know you what you're talking about. Because stealing his identity. Don't know what you're talking about? <laughs> I was playing fun pranks. I went up to Brian Bell and I was like, hey, everyone oh, no. thinks that I am you. And because uh, I'm sitting at your table, can I like, do you have a pen? Mm-hmm. So I can like fake autograph stuff, and he he was like, uh, uh um, I I'll sign things at, at eight or whatever the time was, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it, but I don't care. I want to pretend I'm you. Yeah. What if he blows out his wrist? What then? You know what what, what happened then? One? Someone would be like, say it ain't so. Oh yeah, uh, then walk right into that one. Uh huh. I've been I've actually been waiting to shoehorn that in there for <laughs> the past few minutes. I, and uh, now we're enjoying it. <laughs> Uh, this podcast is a life taker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least I got my hash pipe. So uh, <laughs> anyway, moving backward to communism. Uh, I'm now. Well, what do you, I do want to pivot. Narco capitalist guys. Oh god, <laughs> it scared me away. <laughs> well, that must. Yeah, that is kind of the answer to a lot of, and not that it's a very strong contingent of. Uh, politics in the u.s but there are some people who are like fuck the state abolish the state let's replace it everything with the like just <laughs> corporations was, uh, insane out there huh? yeah <laughs> let's just go total mad max libertarianism yeah. basically yeah essentially what that is at this point right i like it's am very frustrated the with the mm-hmm. libertarian party and libertarianism in america because people keep jumping down its throat for Gary Johnson, like, being given gotcha questions. Like, what do you do with Aleppo? And he's like, what is Aleppo? And, like, granted, I know what Aleppo is, and uh, he should as a presidential candidate, but, like, this is what disqualifies him? Yeah, you're missing the meat The dude wants to abolish the FDA. Well, did you see the interview where they were like, uh, you want to get rid of all of these departments? What function, what if... What what functions that they perform would you still have uh, the federal government perform? And he was like, well, if there were some good ones, then I assume we would still perform those functions. It's like, so you, you want to give Pell Grant still, but you don't want the department whose job it is to do that. So, like, how is it going to... You and he, trade me three cows. I cure your family of cancer. It's just <laughs> cap and trade is what it is. Basically. I mean, I remember talking to a libertarian once who was saying, I was like, okay, healthcare. What are we going to do about healthcare? And he, his answer was basically, if you uh, don't have health insurance, you're less likely to get sick because you're going to be more careful. <laughs> <laughs> I love the current situation we have, which is if you get cancer, you uh, have a GoFundMe. And mm-hmm. then if you're popular enough, you live. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It just is anarcho-capitalism. Like we're already kind of there. We're kind of there, so except like, well, see, I, th- I think the d- w- this is why true libertarianism would never be allowed is because uh, neoliberalism is different. I think that from like a total free market thing because neoliberalism isn't let's get rid of the state, uh, let's get the state out of the economy. It's no, let's use the state to promote capitalism to facilitate capital markets and protect it yeah exactly mm, like unions which we we're going to talk about or like from unions right which we we're going to talk about today. um but that's i mean i, I am kind of glad that because i remember being worried like four years ago that libertarianism was going to take on was going to like you know with the success of ron paul and stuff like that and gary johnson was like uh and he could be this year too like the third um leading candidate like he got the third most amount of votes uh but it seems like because of bernie like there's it's it's showing that um you know you can look outside of the two-party box or the like the washington consensus there is an alternative to that and it but it's a broad-based one because libertarianism isn't going to appeal to like basically anybody who's not like a trust fund white kid you know it has like a base though and yeah I mean, the place I keep seeing uh, people's libertarian opinions crop up is just Facebook. Mm. And I'm not sure if it's a New York thing or what, but uh, people posting about how they're upset about Hillary is on the Podesta emails. Like, if someone posts an article to a Podesta email, which are always fun because they cover a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. aliens, which I definitely should have brought up earlier because there's a lot of alien shit in the emails. Uh, but, uh,. Uh, just people expressing dissatisfaction with the status quo, but it's always under the veil of like, man, I really believe in capitalism. In this corporatist society we live in, <laughs> it's not giving me a fair chance to exploit my friends. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's definitely a, a warning sign whenever anyone starts talking about crony capitalism. I'm like, oh, yeah. you, mean, you mean capitalism? <laughs> you mean the regular? Capitalism? I just want you cronyism. You cronies because yeah. you don't want to do your things. There's, I want. There's too much capitalism in cronyism, I, I think is the problem. Cronies. I want. Yeah, I want pure cronyism. I just want to hang out with all my cronies. <laughs> Would it be so bad to have a king? That's all I've been saying. No. I, I mean, that's kind of the Trump thing, right? That's like yeah. what the alt-right wants. Mm-hmm. They're like, mm-hmm. democracy is bad. I'm just like... It's got interesting blood. A lot of people are like, you know, libertarianism is a great turn for the right wing to take because it's like republicanism without the racism and the homophobia. And I'm like, A, I'm not really confident on that. But B, I think it's actually worse. Even pretending that libertarianism is taking out the racism and the homophobia, Republicans never wanted to, for example, like I said, abolish the FDA. Republicans never had any sort of dialogue in which they were talking about uh, instating IQ tests to vote. No. Like, well, I think they actually th- did. They did? Yeah, I think that's been in the conservative uh, The Republicans? Lexicon. Yeah. Oh, damn. And, well, like, that's not what, recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's but, like, their they, they would lose their base. Yeah. But, like, yeah. recently, these libertarians have been talking about it. Not Gary Johnson, to his credit, because he's just basically a Republican who likes weed. But, like, libertarianism <laughs> is general, in general is just, like, talking about abolishing all sorts of stuff that the republicans like i've talked about cutting back on but not abolishing right. like libertarians want to remove the minimum wage it's just like this this movement that's completely blind to history it just has no clue like what has happened prior in america and why we put these laws in place like 
did these people not read the jungle? Because I was like required to read that in high school, and that's like pretty clear on like if you don't have the FDA, you're going to have like, and if you don't have worker safety laws, you're gonna have like workers pushed into the vat of lard and then cooked in and just sold to people. But you read that because of the progressive uh, secular agenda yeah, infiltrating the public. Libs. Yeah, they're trying to pull. I was lied to. <laughs> it's not what happened with these. Uh, great leader books yeah kennedy uh what i do kind of want to talk about too is because you are on the electoral side of things um what's the it's a little early to talk about this right now we haven't even had the this election yet but what are the odds because this doesn't seem too out of the the box to me that uh the clinton the next clinton administration totally scandal prone uh you know she gets impeachment threats i don't and this is what i've been thinking since like the primary is like i don't get why she's gonna get anything done like that's what you know that's her main message is like she's gonna get stuff done she gets things done why if obama can't like well that's the whole hook on her having a more progressive platform is she's her heart isn't in any of the Mm, platforms she's just gonna be like oh we couldn't get a 15-hour minimum wage? Here's the thing. Uh, she's not going to be able to get a $12. Yeah. She's not going to be able to get that through she, Congress. She care. Like, yeah. Here's I the don't... thing. I hate Clinton as much as the next person, but uh, this stuff, as long as it's in the platform, it kind of doesn't matter. Now, let's take out foreign policy for a second because obviously she's very firmly in charge of bombing babies in Syria. That's like mm-hmm. what she wants to do. Let's pretend that that's a separate thing for a second. The progressive platform that has been made is basically a platform that is centered around the creation of laws. Now, the creation of laws isn't what the president does. All we need her to do is limply sign the documents that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders passed through. Since it's on the platform, she's not going to veto this stuff, and she's not in charge of making it. So actually, I don't think it matters. Well, you would need also to be winning the down ballot races, which yes. she has repeatedly yes. sold out. Uh, she does. We do need to win. So the down you can hold races. that against her. I mean, I'm going to hold all sorts yeah. of crap against her. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But I'm just saying, like in terms of actively, like she doesn't care about this. She doesn't care about that. I totally agree. She doesn't. But it's kind of irrelevant since it's already in the platform. As long as we get our down ballot candidates that we need, as long as we get like the Zephyr T-chats and whatever, like shoved into Congress. I can never remember that name. It it's just a really sounds weird. So made up. <laughs> it sounds like a made up. Person. I thought it was a group until like a month ago. No, she's very nice. I met her once. Uh, but Zephyr. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> two different Pokemon. Get <laughs> out. So uh, you know, as long as we have them. I don't really see it being too much of a problem. Granted, well, would it have been better to have a progressive president? Yeah. Well, yeah. sure, but I, it just seems like, you know, that is her, the president's function to sign laws and stuff, but I would imagine she would be pretty, her or her surrogates would be, have an intimate involvement with crafting legislation, and that's in the back rooms is where the the real, you know. And the fact she gets to pick a cabinet is pretty. Yeah, impressive. and it's already looking like. Big. <laughs> yeah um that's the real downer right i just think that there is potential here uh that's this isn't yeah. at one at once a cynical point and a, a naive idealistic one that there's potential that number one she's gonna uh sell out on a lot of these issues through her surrogates and stuff and try undermine the progressive the elizabeth warrens and bernie sanders of the world um, and on the other hand, her administration is going to have scandal after scandal. You know, now it is tr- perfectly true that the Republicans 
since the 90s have been making shit up about Vince Foster and like producing scandals out of nothing. But there's also something to be said for the Clintons that like they've done some pretty messed up stuff. Mm. And, you know, it's not it's, you know, in terms of the way they govern the deals they do for people and also Bill Clinton's not being able to, you know, he has a he has a problem like he has a genuine like and this is one of my favorite things about this election. Nobody's def- bad bitches. He does, and he's not. Nobody's defending him anymore. The best thing that people are saying about Bill Clinton in 2016 is that he's not running for president. You know, <laughs> true. like I don't see how that doesn't boil over because it's. I've seen things where like he hasn't stopped after Lewinsky. Like he's kept at it. So all these factors together, that makes me think there's some potential for either a primary challenge. Or if the Republicans are in total disarray, a, a total new party. I don't have a lot of faith in a total new party. I don't really either. Um, I don't really would it be? see it happening. I mean, Although you have a while. We have yeah, we've, uh, four, you years. Know, four years and we have the midterm elections in which, you know, like, say, Socialist Alternative could put in a lot of candidates. I just don't see another party really overtaking the Democrat Party. I mean, please prove me wrong because that would be great. There are a lot of laws on the books uh, without going to specifics because I'm a idiot. Uh, uh, but um, a idiot. William Jennings. <laughs> well, there you go. William Jennings Bryan candidacy, uh, turn of the 20th century. He almost takes a majority or comes too close for a lot of the elite's comfort. And then after that run, which is an entire populist campaign, there's a specific effort to discredit third parties. And mm. rules on the books, um, uh, keeping other people out. Um, so I, I think there is kind of cards to play if a third party got started getting some momentum to kind of keep them down. Yeah, I mean, the only way I could see that happening is if the Republicans, uh, which this sounds a little too optimistic, but uh, they are in such dire straits that they just like don't even run a general election candidate next time. You know, like, I don't know how, if, like, if it, I, I, mean, don't, see, I don't see that happening. I mean, like, it, they're definitely going to run someone. Like, there's so many eager. Yeah, eager, but they, but it could be someone who gets, like, it starts polling at 2%, you know, like, it could be it pretty could, bad. Yeah, it the could Republican be. The Republican Party will be in crisis for a very long time after this. That much right. is definitely sure. And if we're going to run a third party, now is definitely the time. I just don't think that the legislation is in place to make that at all possible. I think as long as we have first past the post voting you know, where the winner just sort of takes all. It's just sort of not going to happen. I do see a primary challenge possible, which would be interesting because I'm not sure that's ever happened. Primary challenging an incumbent president. I'm sorry, but they're dire straits because they have money for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I said it. Anyway, continue. Uh, (laughs) Chicks for free. Um, They don't get their chicks for free. They They don't appeal to the women very well that's true. and that's a big voting block that's one way the song does not predict the election <laughs> i i don't know this song i'm so you know oh that. dire straight it's a 80s band a we'll play it up for the outro song. I wasn't but alive. The, of all uh, these great references we've been making this podcast maybe one of the strongest <laughs> um oh, damn <laughs> well uh the, the only time it's happened is um and this is the big what's prevented it since then is uh 1980 uh ted kennedy challenged jimmy carter for mm. the for the presidency when the he was peanut farmer yeah yeah and that <laughs> caused a row in the democratic party and then a- ever since then it's been like this can't happen again mm. like it's going to divide 
you know the ba- and that and then also you know that wait that so is, what's your point is it just like a uh, 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 social more to run against the incumbent or basically yeah and that's kind of like it's never really worked in the past um, because if you look at the other side Pat Buchanan did it to uh, George H.W. Bush and some people credit that with why he lost the yeah and yeah. both yeah both cases Carter and Bush <laughs> lost their re-election uh, I think it's the only I mean if they actually wasn't Carter running against Reagan? In the general election, he was, but in the primary, he got challenged by. Ted just Reagan won by so much. I feel like that's a hard case to make. Right, and that's why I think it could be different this time because things have changed so much since 1980, and it's also if tell me about it. Right, and if Hillary Clinton is just such a uh, loss. Yeah, if they can already <laughs> see if this wrong, it, wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, this is already like we knew that she was had problems with electability mm. uh and if this you know she has a lot of scandals and like isn't able to excite the base then yeah. i could see this being a real thing i don't know if it's going to come from bernie hopefully it would come from like you know donna edwards i like her i just have so little faith in the democrat machine aside from the few good people that are involved in it the thing is yeah. the democrat machine is the strongest thing we've got is sort of the problem like there's no infrastructure set up we don't have any like down ballot candidates run i mean that's most people's complaints with the green party is like yeah cool you show up like once every four years and run a protest candidate but like where's your down ballot well candidates? but they have but they do to their credit they do have a lot of Some, local like but it's uh, but they local. have to they have to uh in boston run a presidential local. you have candidates in boston Green. There's a magazine called Wicked Local. <laughs> it's not a candidate. It's a uh, although it should be. I would vote for Wicked Local over. It's Mitt all Romney. about beers and gansets. That's <laughs> his platform. I got a platform for you. Maybe we go out by the docks early in the morning. Bring your cooler. We're gonna have a lot of fun out there. Just shoot the shit. Maybe talk about girls or something. I don't know. I haven't seen you in forever, dude. I got an election for you, dude. I take you down to the packy. We we buy some fucking forties, dude, and then we just sort of talk it out. It's like you can you can have like any kind of like uh, chicken strips, anything you want, man, dude. If McDonald's doesn't even close to like eleven thirty here. It's wild. <laughs> you can just go. But out. Dunks, dude, Dunks is twenty four seven, bro. <laughs> dunks is twenty four seven. That's Dunkin it's a donuts. lifestyle brand. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts for anyone who's unaware and not from Boston. <laughs> Wicked Local would be running with Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Just yeah, the corporation yeah. is the Wicked runner. Local is, is the top of the ticket, and then Dunkin' Donuts is the vice pres- the two vice presidential candidate. Oh, hell yeah. We making shirts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I vote for Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, what garbage. What garbage food. Um, so, I mean, there's... We have, like, another ten minutes left in the podcast. Uh, I wanted to talk to Mike while he's here. Uh, I wrote this on the agenda... In all caps, growing meat in a fucking lab. Michael, do you have anything to add? (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of it. Uh, Yeah, I like, I wasn't actually sure when you called me here, like what like hat I was supposed to be wearing. I was like, Alex wants me to do a podcast. Am I like democracy at work or am I like the thing I actually do to get money or do I, what am I? And so, yeah, I mean, my, uh, you know, growing, growing meat in uh, in a lab is, is going to happen. It's a real thing. I, uh, hell yeah. I have a, a startup as any good, you know, communist does, uh, in, in which we, uh, we grow, um, tuna. We are growing tuna meat outside of tuna fish. This is better for the environment because it is a more efficient system. 
it will prevent overfishing, it will be more energy efficient, it will not require the murder of tons and tons of animals. I've actually brought this up on the podcast maybe every week. So oh, sorry. Really so really everyone's already about it. It. Sorry, I didn't listen to this yet. Um, yeah, I do that. Uh, it'll, it'll probably happen. And, How you know, do you feel the progress is uh, going? Well, I just went to a conference about two weeks ago in Maastricht, the Netherlands, and... Uh, Shout out. Shout out to Maastricht, which is uh, the the. <laughs> I recently learned that the Maastricht is the southernmost part of the Netherlands, and there's just nothing there. And their slogan that the government has come up with to try and get people to move there is, "Imagine living here," <laughs> <laughs> which like the Dutch. I am told by my Dutch friends that sort of is easily read as like, "Imagine living." Here. <laughs> uh, it's so cold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cold, and there's not much there in that section of the Netherlands. Although it's still very beautiful. We were on a bus, and we accidentally went to Germany for two seconds, which was really funny. Um, Germany's great, beautiful country. There's a roundabout, um, and also a field of grass. I don't know anything else about it. Uh, I've never heard of it since. I've then. never been there, but I am dying to go. <laughs> yeah. Something about cobblestones. So anyway, just lab gets me going. Lab meets very real. Uh, it's it's definitely in in early stages. Since that conference, I've I've definitely had my estimates knocked down a peg. There's a lot of more work to do. There's a lot more um, research that needs to be done. And I mean, I can tie that into this podcast. You know, capitalism is hurting it in a pretty big way. There's a lot of people with a lot of money, and they want to invest. The problem is that the research is so far away that anything they invest in is not safe, and so they're not. So they have all this money they want to throw at it, but they don't see anything that they like yet. But it's, none of the research publicly is getting funded because no one's putting any of their money towards public research or donating it. They're all waiting to invest. They're like, well, I'll just wait when I can invest. Is there any kind of push for a uh, crowdsourcing type of investment? Like, I feel like yep, it's um, such a cool <clears throat> field that... If so, you could just kind of get it, especially to people our age who are maybe interested in this yeah. kind of thing, you could raise some money. You know, it's it's been considered by a lot of people. There's one company out of Israel called Supermeat that has crowdfunded their thing. The problem and what has scared me off is that I don't want to like diss Supermeat in any way because I think they're super cool and I really hope that they succeed. But uh, Friends of the show, Supermeat. Friends of the show, Supermeat, but they're, they're growing um, chicken liver and chicken breast in a lab somewhere in Israel. I don't actually know where. Sorry, Israel. But they're crowdfunding... It's not lying, um, but it is firmly misleading how far away this technology is. They crowdfunded it, and what they did was they were like, oh, well, if you give us $100, we'll give you $150 of our product. That makes it sound like it's going to happen soon. It's not. Unless they have some sort of crazy revolutionary technology where this is like, it's a total game changer and none of the rest of us have figured it out, the rest of the scientific community... That's not happening for like 10 years. Man. I see what you're saying in that people expect a back end on this and one is not around the corner. <laughs> exactly. And so like, well, you know, our company has considered the idea of crowdfunding. We're nervous about putting out a crowdfunding campaign that would be honest because we think it would fail. And we're not going to lie. So it sort of has left us with this uh, what now. If we had more powerful, like, com <clears throat> Uh, just uh, political communities or just business communities that could round up money. Like when when uh, Christians in Utah decide they want to uh, support some kind of political bill or something, they get so much money to mm, do that mm -hmm. because they have mega churches and they have yeah. mm -hmm. millions of people and enough of them give $5 and then they have... 20 million dollars uh yeah the thing is there's no real vegan mega churches no like, and there should be yeah i mean there's morrissey concerts i guess but like other than that is oh, so is this something vegans <laughs> like or are they like totally 
repulsed by it because I remember talking to this about with a vegetarian I know, and that she was like, "I guess it's a good idea, but I still wouldn't." That's gross. Yeah, you know, um, it's half and half. I mean, um, it sort of depends. So it's not a grosser large... than Soylent. <laughs> TM, <laughs> which I have tried drinking multiple times and vomited every time. But shout out to Soylent <laughs> because a lot of my coworkers run on this stuff, and apparently it's great for a lot of people. I am just a big baby and can't stomach mm. it. Um, and and I'm, I'm always trying to get delicious gains, so that doesn't work for the me. The CEO of Soylent is rad. He's so funny and interesting. He just does not care what people think which is great they basically just put up a big billboard once that just said we love gmos and then just put the name soylent underneath it oh. not good marketing <laughs> what super ballsy and i love it though um yeah i think uh this product isn't meant for vegans and vegetarians there are a lot of vegans and vegetarians who want to fund it which is great but there are an equal amount um i mean well, so get so the they, people a lot of them aren't like, gonna stop eating meat to not eat meat right yeah or not because i'm totally yeah. like i'm i'm in the camp where it's like i love meat too much to not yeah eat it but i do feel bad about it it's for you that's yeah, what this yeah. product is for and actually this product is i hope it's not for vegans if vegans move away from being vegan and to this product they're making they're they're going to have a higher toll on the environment firmly and like, what, what do you no, make the meat out of it's going to, it, it is made out of cells, so it's just like a small cell sample from an animal that is then grown up. It is chemically and cell, on a cellular level, it should be exactly the same uh, as any of the meat that you eat today. Um, so it's cloned, but is it alive? Um, it is I guess cloned. that's a grand debate. But... It's kind of a really hard thing to talk about. I mean, are cells alive? Yes. Whoa. Then yeah. Biologically. Then yeah. It's, but, it's alive but it doesn't. Point. It's not like moving when, around. No, it's not. That's Does that it would have be bad. Thoughts? That would mean we did it wrong. What? Oh, yeah. It doesn't have thoughts. It doesn't have thoughts. That's well, this the, goes into the whole soul <laughs> aspect. I think. I think we're going further from okay. science than, uh, <laughs> than the research does. It um. Is it conceived? It is, yeah. There's a Dragon Ball Z arc that warns strongly against this. <laughs> you know, there's a Dragon Ball Z arc that warns strongly, strongly against most things. You know, I think Dragon Ball Z oversaw... You know, Majin Buu is basically Trump. Hear me out. Because he... <laughs> This is he, a big fat guy. I think Trump is Bob. He's a big fat guy, and Sorry. no matter what you do to him, he bounces back and becomes <laughs> stronger. And then also, uh, Hillary Clinton has been weight training for years to take him down. I like this uh, analogy because in this version, Bernie Sanders uh, knocks out his children with karate kicks and then uh, explodes himself to try and kill him. Yeah, I think that's... That's wow! This analogy's working out a lot better because mm -hmm. when I launched into saying that, it doesn't I actually didn't know where we were going. He's been it. taking Taekwondo since he lost. Uh huh. Dope. The prince of all Jews. Okay. What is this? So what is this company called? How can people find out more info? Sure. Well, the company is called Pelagic. P E L A G I C. The name is bad, but it's because uh, the Pelagic Zone is where we get almost all the fish that we eat. Mm. Um, it's just a, it's the uh, most of the ocean, basically. If you want to look up exactly what it is, Wikipedia, my friends. But it uh, will be, we'll have our own website actually in the next week or two. It's been really a bummer a little bit doing business and have people instead of questioning my like tech workflow, be like, oh, do you have a website? I'm like, I don't, I'm a fucking scientist. Like, I don't make yeah. websites. <laughs> Please stop asking about my graphic design. Yeah. And no just, Instagram yet. I'm so frustrated. Like, you don't have any social media presence. I'm like, I don't want social media presence. <laughs> yeah, don't but, um, you just work there? Is there? Are you, like, their representative? Pelagic? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm the, I'm the founder. I didn't realize you were the founder. Yeah, no, this is my startup. That's why I was saying, like, any good communist, I have my oh, own startup. Oh, god damn. <laughs> All right, we have to have you back again and talk about this. <laughs> I is like it cooperatively run? 
I it is currently right now because everyone is a founder. Ah. I want it to be cooperatively run in the end. I'm definitely um, I think I'll be able to manage that one way or another. I hope that one of my co-founders never listens to this podcast. We'll see. Um, I, I think that I'm going to get resistance on that end from uh, one of my co-founders, but we will see what I can do. It's sort of this thing of like, you can only save the world so much. If I can't make it into like a cooperatively owned thing, it will be the fault of either my investors or one of my co-founders, but it's like, I can't just scrap the company and start over. All we like, can ask yeah. is that you try. You're going to, yeah. but you're going to be reading the wall street journal business week. A yeah. few years from now, you, there will be a whole section on cooperatively owned fish companies. Fish, yeah. yeah fake me, fish right. companies. Yeah. I hope I really, my my dream in life is to be like a Nick Hanauser figure, which is just like, super duper stupidly rich through the capitalist system but just constantly criticizing it and just being like this is such a bad plan you're frowning in your tub of gold yeah exactly <laughs> and just and just like you know doing everything you can for like activism in terms of in terms of like getting the word out and being like i used this method to game my taxes this is how i did it and it's legal and you should fix it because it's bad <laughs> Like my, Trump, my goal is to be a Nick Cannon figure where I'm uh, always leaning on stuff and sliming. He's good at drums, so. My, oh shit, he's that? good at drums. Yeah. My goal is just to talk like this and uh, <laughs> say facts a lot and get a job with with Vox. I was say you've accomplished so much office. of that. Already. I went to a Vox party the other day. How was it? Uh, it was fine. Behind enemy lines. Did yeah, they explain stupid. what the alcohol was to you? They were like, nobody gave me an explainer. Let me lay it. Let me lay it down for you. This is my, rye whiskey. Explain. I, <laughs> I was actually super awkward and it didn't go well. I had my bass on my back and then everyone started dancing real heavy. And I I'm was noticing just like, a uh, trend to your stories, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it. I have no idea what you're talking about, and um, I'm, I have no interest in learning. Well, I think you're a cool guy. Uh. It's 5.30. I got to go host an open mic, which is my sign-off line on every one of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Left Chest. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, thank you to Michael Selden. Thank you to K-Piss. We'll be back next week. Yeah. Have a good one. Hate.